Welcome to this week's edition of the Access Hour. I'm today's host, Ruth Newman. In 1973, Congress designated August the 26th as Women's Equality Day. This is the date the 19th Amendment was certified, giving women the right to vote. Now you are about to eavesdrop in on this year's Women's Equality Day celebration, which took place on August the 27th at the Filson Historical Society. The first speaker that you'll hear is Richard H. C. Clay, President and CEO of the Filson Historical Society. Everything that all of you represent, everything that all of you believe in, is part of the Filson's mission. And so we look at this gathering as a wonderful, magnificent collection of partners. There are many, many people here who need to be thanked, but that's not part of my role. I do want to say one thing about Dee Pregliasco. Where is Dee? The fact that she approached me this time last year about putting the program on here was extremely meaningful to me personally because it was a recognition on the part of a woman who I believe to be a pathbreaker, a pathfinder, uh, that the Bilson was in the game. So thank you. The next speaker and MC is Marilyn Jackson, President and CEO of the Muhammad Ali Center. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Women's Equality Day. We have a really exciting program planned for today, celebrating the trailblazers who fought and who continue to fight to deliver a better future for women. But before we kick off the program, I'm delighted to introduce someone who really needs no introduction, our mayor, Greg Fisher. Thank you, Marilyn, and good morning, everybody. It's great to be with you. A few notes. Uh, I don't know if you noticed that beautiful song when you were coming in. It's, it's called Rise Up. It was written by Carly Johnson. Carly is a beautiful local uh, musician and a vocalist. Uh, Louisville Metro government is really happy to be part of this event. Uh, I frequently say if women ran the world, the world would be a hell of a lot better off than what it is right now. So Gretchen Hunt, through our Office for Women, does an incredible job for us. Gretchen, thank you so much for After the horrendous uh, demonstrations in Charlottesville, Virginia, where we, we said, you know, this cannot be our country when you see this demonstration of hate taking place and prejudice and discrimination. So, Lean Into Louisville was launched to educate folks that really want to come together in a space to explore what are the roots of hatred, discrimination, and prejudice. Because it's a sensitive topic for some people. So, the more we can normalize that, the better our city is going to be. So, Joy leads that initiative in a very powerful way. So, we appreciate that. And one of the things you said yesterday, obviously, was the celebration, perhaps, of what's happened in the country since the passage of the 19th Amendment, but also just really the totally incomplete nature of the work as well. Because when the 19th Amendment was passed, the racial issues still facing our country were with us. Black women did not have the right to vote until much later, at least qualified legally, much later. But then this year has been a horrible year for men and women in the country when the Supreme Court uh, overriding the 
which is of 75, 80% of America reverse Roe versus Wade. And, and in fact, you know, obviously I'm not that gender, but it offended me greatly for my daughters, for my wife, for my future, for my granddaughters, for you all. I've just never experienced this governmental body, the Supreme Court that we're supposed to respect, instantly make 50% of our country lesser than. Lesser than. And it's not something that we can say, okay, they had their turn, they had overturned the will of the public, but it's something that's fired up a lot of people. And I hope we're just beginning to see the results and accountability from that, because that's not something we're just going to lay back and say, well, it happened, okay, what's going on? What are we going to do tomorrow? Okay, what are we going to do tomorrow? Fight. And then we're going to fight more the next day, the next day, and the next day. And we're starting to see that in some of the elections that are taking place around the country, which really is the only way that we're going to be able to overturn this situation. So it's important that we get out and vote. So thank you all very much for what you do. Now, yesterday we presented a proclamation on behalf of the city to someone that was just described to me as Louisville's Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And I've always loved her and acknowledged her as a renaissance woman. It has, it's like hard to see so many lives you can have in one life. Uh, whether it be a scientist, an artist, a ceramic artist, a photographer, and just an incredibly generous and kind person who just happened to turn 91 years young. Yeah. This is the City of Louisville honoring Women's Equality Day 2022 in recognition of the strength, resilience, courage, brilliance, and achievements of women's unfinished American journey. For now and in the future, we support women in a continuing push toward equality in every aspect of life and join a call to action to work together to bring about equity and equality to all in a nation whose DNA demands it. The tragic loss of equal health care rights for women demonstrates the urgency and need to fight to restore that right and to, and to continue this righteous push. Our city proudly celebrates this day as Women's Equality Day 2022. celebrations, they don't plan themselves. It takes research, coordination, dedication, and many, 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 many Zoom meetings to make an event a reality. So I'd like to introduce to you the members of the planning committee that put this event together. First up, we have Councilwoman Paula McCraney. You may write me down in history with your bitter, twisted lies. You may trod me in the very dirt, but still, like dust, I'll rise. Does my sassiness affect you? Does it upset you so? So why are you beset with gloom? Cause I walk like I've got oil wells pumping in my living room? Just like moons and like suns with the certainty of tides, just like hopes springing high, still I rise. Did you want me to be broken? bowed head and lowered eyes, shoulders falling down like teardrops, weakening of my soulful cries. Does my sassiness offend you? Don't you take it awful hard, cause I like laughing, ha <laughs> ha, like I've got gold mines digging in my own backyard. 
You may shoot me with your words. You may cut me with your eyes. You may kill me with your hatefulness. But still, like air, I'll rise. Does my sexiness upset you? Ah, does it come as a surprise that I dance like I've got diamonds meeting at my thighs? <laughs> Out of hurts of history, shame I rise. Up from the past that's molded and rooted in pain I rise. I'm a black ocean leaping in the tide and wide and welling and swelling I bear in the tide. Leaving behind nights of terror and fear I rise. Into a daybreak, wondrously clear, I rise, bringing the gifts that my ancestors gave. I am the hope and the dream of the slave. I rise. I rise. I rise. Now, this poem is one of my favorites by, as you know, Maya Angelou. Her works were inspired by the struggles experienced by African-American women in a long history of oppression, a long history of not only oppression, but of discrimination right here in our United States of America. And Still I Rise begins and ends with affirmations of strength and the joy of living. The title of the poem, Still I Rise, is a proclamation against the society that tries to dominate women's voices. Through this poem, Miss Angelo tries to break down the shackles of dominion and domination and raises her voice to say that she and her people are no longer muted, that they have the voices to proclaim their rights. So similar to what black women in the suffrage movement had to do, when the white suffragists said that they couldn't march with them because the chances of voting rights getting passed would be compromised. We as women must band together and not forget that still we shall rise, but we have to fight together and inclusively. So as we proclaimed yesterday, it's Women's Equality Day, we must remember that although we have come a long way towards equality, there's still a lot of work to do. Today should remind us to support women's struggles for equality throughout everyday life, from the glass ceilings in our workplaces to the evolving roles in our homes, from opportunities in the sports field to female leadership in the C-suite, from the images representing women in videos and magazines to the way women view themselves, from empowering young mothers to supporting women, preparing to retire, from encouraging greater female involvement in the science and technology fields, to promoting women's campaigns for public office and leadership in government institutions. And as federal politicians and judges have shown us in 2022, women must fight for their right to make critical decisions about their bodies despite being impregnated, being violated against her will, and at the risk of dying. The struggle to maintain our voice, the struggle to keep voting alive, the struggle for rights is real. We must band together. We must not stop. We must keep going. And still, we shall rise. So 
underrepresented, misrepresented, and silenced in these places and other spaces in our society, there will still be work to be done, and each and every one of us will be that responsible party for moving our society forward. And as long as women worldwide must fight for equal rights, the struggle continues for all of us. And keep in mind, that still will rise. So on this day, the 27th of August, 2022, the Louisville Celebration of Women's Equality Day, we will say their names. Elizabeth Caddy Stanton, Susan B. Anthony, Lucretia Mott, Alice Paul, Carrie Chapman Catt, Sojourner Truth, Ida B. Wells, Harriet Tubman, Mary McLeod Bethune, Shirley Chisholm, Barbara Jordan, Rosa Parks, Paula McCraney, and all of you women in this audience and in this community, we shall rise together. Thank you. That was Councilwoman Paula McCraney of District 7. And you are listening to WFMP 106.5 FM, All Volunteer Community Radio. Today, bringing you Presenters at Women's Equality Day 2022 that was held at the Filson Historical Society in downtown Louisville on August the 27th. We are keeping this public airwave open to local events such as this one and other issues, events, people, and stories that are relevant to this community. So please help us to stay on the air by donating on September the 15th during Give for Good fundraising. All you have to do is go to giveforgoodlouisville.org and search Forward Radio. The next speaker you hear is Dee Pregliasco, President of the League of Women Voters of Louisville. The League is a nonpartisan political organization that encourages the informed and active participation of citizens in government by hosting events such as candidate forums, by holding special meetings, by teaching classes, and much more. Its membership is open to both men and women, and you can reach them by searching for League of Women Voters of Louisville. So here now is Dee Pregliasco, president of the Louisville League of Women Voters. It's sort of hard to follow, <laughs> I do want to say that at the first uh, celebration that we had in 2017, my granddaughter Julia was here, so I'm glad especially to have her here uh, today. Um, we at the League are nonpartisan. We register voters, we educate voters, we welcome all of you to be members. And we're going to have election forums um, all this fall for legislative offices, uh, for metro council offices, county clerks, school boards, and then uh, in conjunction with the local bar association and a bunch of other civic groups were having uh, judicial forums on uh, September uh, the 22nd and October the 6th. 
So please go on all of those websites. You'll find them. We're going to publish all of those dates, and we want you to come. Uh, one of the interesting things about today is that this is Women's Equality Day, but something came out from our national headquarters, and I think we need to think about this too. And it says, this year we're observing Women's Inequality Day and demanding that our representatives, our rep they're our representatives, pass voting rights legislation, add the Equal Rights Amendment to the Constitution, and restore, restore reproductive freedom to women and those who can become pregnant. These are three goals and they're still out there. We still have to work hard uh, for all of them. So thank you for coming today. Enjoy the program. We appreciate you. We have lots and lots of work to do. Uh, sometimes uh, because I've retired from the practice of law, I think, oh, you know, I'll just relax. No, we cannot relax. We have to keep working. Thank you.
created in 1991, and we are singularly focused on raising the status of women. And the way that we do that is through collaboration. We're a small staff, um, but we work in partnership with all of you. And one of the things I was thinking about is when I came here is, you know that common slogan that says that behind every strong man is a strong woman? I want to get out of that whole idea of being in front of and being behind. Um, so let's think about that we all do this work as women, and we actually are recreating structures of power, so we are doing it alongside one another. And that's the goal of the Office for Women, is to do this work alongside one another in collaboration with community. Um, I want to thank Tina Ward Q, who is the former director of the Office for Women. Tina, before us, Tina really gave life to this event over many, many years and along with other folks has been doing that work. Um, I just want to highlight two quick things. When you walked in the entryway, I want to lift up Joanne Wise. Joanne, do you want to stand so that folks can see you and recognize the incredible artist? long career in um, social work and as an advocate for women, but what you may not know is she is a Renaissance woman like Miss um, Elmer Lucille in that she received her, after her retirement, she had a second career receiving her MA in Fine Arts from UofL and now uses her art to address the social issues that concern her. So when you walked in, those powerful pieces, and please pause when you leave and look at those pieces, they are focused on voting rights, which is why we are here today. Four of them are inspired by John Lewis, contain his quotes, and one celebrates the 19th Amendment to the Constitution. And look closely. Um, there's a poster from a local protest on Breonna Taylor that's embedded in that fabric art. So she weaves together all of these narratives past narratives and current struggles for justice, so I want to lift that up. The second thing I want to point your attention to is that we have these awesome pocket cards. These were inspired by my mom, Virginia Hunt, who's tuning in virtually today. So hi, Mom, we love you. Um, you are why I'm here today, and everything I am, I owe to you. Um, but she had this idea because every time she would drive through a drive-through or talk to somebody at the grocery, she'd ask them, you know, especially young women, um, you know, are you registered to vote? Are you voting? Because right now, it is so important. And so it was my mom's idea that made us think about these little pocket register to vote cards with the QR code that runs you right to the Secretary of State website so you can register electronically. It's in English and Spanish. So please grab some of these and have them as pocket cards and give them to people and encourage people to vote. We want to make sure that all these are gone. There's a thousand. Imagine if today you could get a thousand women and men and non-binary folks registered to vote after this and inspired to vote in November. So thank you to everyone on this group and all the women who have brought this to fruition. If you just tuned in, you're listening to WFMP 106.5 FM, your community all-volunteer radio station. We've been listening to Gretchen Hunt, Executive Administrator of Louisville Metro Government's Office for Women, and she was one of 14 speakers and presenters at the Women's Equality Day 2022, held August the 27th at the Filson Historical Society. Now this is part one of a two-part series happening this week and next on Forward Radio's Access Hour. And I want to remind everybody to vote on November the 8th 
Find out all that you need to know about voting and registering to vote at GoVoteKY.com. You can register there. You can find out what and who is on the ballot. You can find out where to vote and much more. Find GoVoteKY.com and help us preserve our rights and our freedoms. Now let's get back to Gretchen Hunt, Executive Administrator of Louisville Metro Government's Office for Women. I'd like to also take this moment to thank the sponsors who not only donated their time, their space, and their resources for today to make today possible. So let's give it up for the Filson Historical Society, the League of Women Voters, the Louisville, Louisville Chapter, Lean in Louisville, Louisville Metro Government, Office for Women, the Zonta Club of Louisville, and Norton Women and Children's Hospital. So please. The National Collaborative for Women's History Sites advocates for the preservation and interpretation of sites that mark the contributions of women and gender non-conforming individuals to the American story. Today we are joined by Marsha Weinstein, co-president of the National Collaborative for Women's History Sites. Wow, this is fabulous. I'm so excited to see everybody here today and to see how this event has grown and become more and more inclusive. But boy, look out, Louisville. We're coming on strong. So, I was introduced as president of the National Collaborative for Women's History Sites in order to celebrate 100th anniversary of the passage of the 19th Amendment, we created a National Votes for Women's Trail. Now, what people don't know is most people don't learn their history from books. They learn it from visiting historic sites. And that's why it's so important that historic sites interpret all the people at the site, not just the great white man, which traditionally those were the stories. So we want to be inclusive. So what we did is to create this trail to mark all across America where women of all backgrounds and of all communities work to get the right to vote. And the thing that I was so surprised about is the different ethnic backgrounds and small communities. This was not just a few great, you know, white women, uh, Anthony and Stanton. This were people of all backgrounds. And so we have found, really, we are really adding to the body of knowledge of American history, stories that have never been told. Mm -hmm. And so we, we have a database with over 2,600 people uh, documented, and then we're going to have over 200 markers, uh, roadside markers. And the first one happened to go up in Louisville for Susan Luke Avery, which is right across the street. She started the Louisville Suffrage Association and the Women's Club of Louisville. And the one most recently went up, which is 202, on August the 7th, went up to the Nugent Sisters. And the Nugent Sisters live at 845 South 6th Street, and you can drive by their house and see their marker as well. They, Nugent Sisters advocated for the voting rights for African-American women. They brought Ida B. Wells and other great leaders to Louisville, and they were major players. And I had worked on suffrage 25 years, and not until I had a Girl Scout who wanted to do some research on it, that I learned about the Nugent Sisters. And I was humbled, all this that I did not know. And I think, what all else we don't know, you know? So that's why we need to keep digging and finding and celebrating the contributions of all people in all places that have built this country to be what it is today and that we need to continue the process. So if you have a time, look at the markers. And please, just think about how important it is treasure your right to vote, and encourage your friends and family and neighbors to vote as well. Thanks. Thank I was asked to talk a little bit about this day and kind of what it meant 
to me, and one of the one of the earliest memories I've had is one of my favorite memories is growing. I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, and one of the highlights of my youth was taking the subway into Manhattan with my mom and doing things with my mom, going to museums, going to plays, and that type of stuff. And I remember distinctly the day when I was eight years old, and I looked at the credit card that my mom used to pay for our, 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 our lunch, and it had my father's name on it. Why isn't your name on this card? I asked her. And that's when she told me that, as a woman, she didn't have the right to buy a house in her name, get a car loan, get a credit card, and that her husband had to be the signer of all these documents. And, and man, like I, that really blew my mind, because as far as I was concerned, my mom was the boss of our house. She had made all the decisions. She told us what to wear, what we ate, where we were going, um, what school we went to. She paid, and I watched her pay the bills. I watched her open that mail and pay the bills every month. So I knew that that was completely wrong. And 54 years after women were granted the right to vote, the Equal Credit Opportunity Act was passed just in 1974. I was 10 years old. And when I graduated from college at 21, I was able, as an unmarried woman, to apply for my own credit card. And I've never taken that for granted, the ability to establish credit and finance my own life. So this day is really important because Women's Equality Day not only commemorates the passage of the 19th Amendment, which gave, as we've talked about, some women the right to vote, but also calls attention to our continuing fight for full equity, for pay equity, equitable access to good paying jobs, financial equity, health equity, which includes the right to make the fundamental choices about our health, our bodies, and our reproductive rights. And how do we do that? It really starts with voting. In 2020, 89 million women were registered to vote. Women outnumber male voters by 15 million people in this country. But in 2020, only 69% of voting eligible population voted. We have so much power and we leave it on the table every election. And that it really pisses me off because <laughs> voting matters. It makes a difference, and we have the power to decide who we put into office, who our elected officials are, what they stand for, what freedoms they grant us, and what freedoms they take away. So as women, we need to be the biggest advocates for voting because we are great influencers. My mother, my mother taught me how to vote, and we take that for granted. We think that people just know how to vote. No, but you have to teach people how to vote. She used to use the newspaper as a guide, and she would circle all the people that she was going to vote for and tell me why. And, and I do the same today. I print out that ballot, and I tell I have three kids, voting age children. And I sit, either text them, fax them, and I tell them who voting for. And I make them vote. I make them register to vote at 18. Um, and honestly, they, they can't come up for Thanksgiving without showing me the vote. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious about that. Um, so we need to encourage and demand that our friends, parents, siblings, and children vote. Those cards, I think that's a phenomenal idea. Take cards, I'm gonna start handing those out. And encourage people to vote. Today, as we celebrate the passage of the 19th Amendment, we're gonna take you on a journey from the past to the present. And look at the women's equality movement through different lenses and different perspectives. Come vote, ladies, come vote, ladies, come vote, ladies, in the gladly we will cast our votes. Cast our votes, cast our votes, gladly we will cast our votes. We're on election day. Oh, what a 
things possible that there were so many suffragists singing that song all across Kentucky and all across the nation. I'm a match, by the way. <laughs> Mallory McDowell Breckenridge, great granddaughter of Henry Clay, and a strong suffrage supporter. <laughs> but make no, no mistake, getting the right to vote was a very important act. Because what is even more important is exercising your right to vote. And perhaps even more astute right now is knowing how you got that right to vote. Now most people consider the Senate Fall Convention of 1848 to be the birthplace of women's suffrage in America. But you may also be very surprised to learn that Kentucky was also a front runner in the women's suffrage system if only but for a short amount of time. Now the idea of school suffrage, the ability for women to vote in school board elections, was thought of as not an easier and more natural task for women, since we were the ones raising the children. Now Kentucky was very far behind other states in terms of equality for women, but quite progressive in this one area, because our was the very first state to allow women's school suffrage in 1838, 10 whole years before the Seneca Falls Convention. Oh, but bless their hearts. <laughs> Lawmakers only allowed it for widows who were voting in their husband's absence. And most of the women who qualified for the right didn't even know that they had it. Now, to be fair, Kentucky did extend school suffrage to all women, not just widows. But it quickly became rescinded when it was quite evident that the colored women vote was having a huge impact on election results. Too many illiterate Negro women are voting. It was insane. By um, 1902, it was official. Had become the only state to grant women school suffrage, and then they completely took it away. <laughs> Kentucky women suddenly had no more political rights than the women of Turkey. For we had none at all. I would continue my quest for school suffrage for the next 10 years. And I think the turning point came was when I attended a Senate hearing on women, schools, and elections. And upon hearing the contention the legislator paid we ladies by insultingly saying that we were only looking for school suffrage in order to use it as um, a stepping stone to be able to vote in real elections where whiskey was at stake, <laughs> I knew I had more to do. And in 1912, I became the president of the Kentucky Equal Rights Association. <laughs> State membership had started out less than 2,000 women when I first took office. But by the end of my first term, we stood over 10,000 members strong. <laughs> but the honeymoon did not last. <laughs> For soon I heard we had a new fight on our hands. Not because of school suffrage, but because of the fight between state and federal suffrage. 
thinking about what to do about the Susan B. Anthony Amendment, which of course later became known as the 19th Amendment. All many Southern states were against it because it borrowed much of its language from the 15th Amendment, which of course had interfered with states' rights. <laughs> My position was always ardent. In order to get the vote, I would take it in any shape and form, and I refused to let race or constitutional doctrine interfere. President Wilson had been promoting women's suffrage at the state level and suggested that he would be open to a federal amendment if it came down to it. To me, denying women the right to vote is equal to taxation without representation. <laughs> I remember writing to Governor McCreary telling him, Kentucky women are not idiots. Although we are closely related to Kentucky men. <laughs> oh. Oh. And as for me, I knew. I knew that if men had the federal right to vote, well then so should women. We women are often asked to sit aside, yet open up our pocketbooks to support those who do not support us. And it's crazy how something as simple as casting your vote can be something that is denied. But help was on the way. On January 6, 1920, Governor Edwin P. Morrow signed his name to the Anthony Amendment. Oh, a crowd of suffragists surrounded his desk as he did so. I had the best position looking directly over his shoulder. <laughs> and as I watched the ink glide and dry across that page, I witnessed Kentucky becoming the 23rd state to ratify the Anthony Amendment. <laughs> Votes for women were becoming a reality for American women. And a solid right for Kentucky women. Oh, how we suffragists celebrated. There you are. There is a story of suffrage, from school suffrage to state suffrage and federal suffrage. Kentucky's votes for women could never have been made possible if it weren't for all of the dedicated people like you. I'll see you all at the ballot box. Votes for women. Votes for women. Yes, exercise your precious right to vote this November the 8th. And if you need to register to vote, you have until October the 11th to get registered. Visit GoVoteKY.com. That's GoVoteKY.com. That was Kelly Brendelman, who's been an actress with the Kentucky Humanities Chautauqua Division since 2005. Kelly has performed the role of Madeline McDowell Breckenridge since 2015. Madeline was an American social reformer whose efforts focused on child welfare, health issues, and women's rights. And from 1905 through 1920, she was an active reformer. And she died on November 25th, 1920, after the first presidential election that women voted in. Thank you, Kelly. That was amazing. Okay, so we're moving to the present. 
Um, next, we are joined by Professor Enid Trucio Haynes, who is a nationally recognized scholar of constitutional law, immigration law, race and law. Her scholarship focuses on issues affecting immigrants and Latinx people. She's the co-founder and co-director of the Brandeis Human Rights Advocacy Program and of the Cooperative Consortium of Transdisciplinary Social Justice Research. She's the chair of La Casita Center's board, and I'm proud to say that she's a board member of the Muhammad Ali Center. Professor Tricia Haynes, can you tell us what does equal citizenship mean today? Thank you. Thank you to all of the organizers of this event, the sponsors, and my fellow speakers. It's a privilege to share this space with all of them and with all of you. The title of my remarks today, Thick and Thin Constitutionalism, What Does Equal Citizenship Mean Today? highlights the promise of thick constitutional guarantees for freedom, liberty, and equality at the core of the 19th Amendment, adopted in 1920, the 14th Amendment, adopted in 1868, and the 15th Amendment, adopted in 1871. The Constitution recognizes a constellation of rights to ensure equal citizenship and equal participation, but the history of recognizing the full protection of these rights has been thwarted by thin understandings of these protections offered by the Supreme Court. This is even more true today after the Supreme Court overruled Roe versus Wade after 49 years in the Dobbs versus Jackson's Women's Health Organization case. I focus on freedom, liberty, and equality to connect voting rights and reproductive rights. As we know, despite the passage of the 19th Amendment in the 1920 establishing voting rights for women, the promise of equal participation in our representative democracy did not exist in 1920, nor thereafter. The 19th Amendment only offered a thin constitutional protection, effectively establishing voting rights primarily for white women at the time. We also know that black women participated in the suffrage movement, recognizing that dignity and protection that could be afforded by the 19th Amendment was necessary and could represent a thick version of the protections. Advocates advanced a thick version of the 19th Amendment to establish equal participation. Equal participation in making policy that affected working women, equal participation to ensure that federal, state, and local laws were responsive to women's needs and concerns by hearing directly from them and us. Equal citizenship and equal participation for black men and women did not become a reality until the Voting Rights Act of 1965, despite the adoption of the 15th Amendment in 1871, guaranteeing the right to vote, regardless of race, color, or previous condition of servitude. Jim Crow and Juan Crow laws meant that most black women and other women of color were unable to vote for another 45 years. And today, the gutting of the Voting Rights Act by the Supreme Court and the loud but incorrect approximations of voter fraud, we have witnessed extensive new voting restrictions in many states. These voting rights represent the core of equal citizenship in this country, a thick promise of equal participation in our representative democracy. Other constitutional guarantees also are central to the promise of equal citizenship and equal participation. The 14th Amendment guarantees the government will not deny any person the equal protection of the law, nor deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law. In 1868, the Equal Protection Clause offered all only thin protection, and the Due Process Clause did not even reach most people because civil rights protection was within the domain of states. 
For equality rights, it took nearly 100 years for the Supreme Court to define equality as a right for all people in this country. A very narrow definition of this right allowed racial apartheid to exist in this country from the passage of the 14th Amendment in 1868 until the Supreme Court's decision in 1954 in Brown v. Board of Education, deciding that separate was inherently unequal. And even then, the efforts to desegregate public schools were stymied until Congress passed legislation tying federal funding to actual desegregation. And further, this new vision of equality that was recognized in Brown versus the Board of Education did not manifest for women until the early 1970s when the court began to understand that law and policy based on stereotypes about the role of women in our society can violate the Constitution's equality guarantee. Regarding other individual rights, including the Bill of Rights adopted in 1791, a robust understanding of the meaning, meaning of freedom, liberty, and equality only emerged in the 1920s when the Supreme Court began to require uniformity. The original Constitution did not protect many individual rights, relying instead on the structure of government, dividing power among co-equal branches and between the states and federal government. The original Constitution did not include the Bill of Rights because of the belief that designating specific rights could be interpreted as not protecting other rights. Further, the Bill of Rights only limited federal government action from infringing on these rights. The founders believed that state governments would protect civil rights of their citizens. Yet it took a civil war and the adoption of the Reconstruction Amendments to explicitly require constitutional protection for all people inside their states. Clearly, the Bill of Rights only offered thin protections before the Civil War because of this idea that states would protect the civil rights through state constitutions. However, after the Civil War, in the court's first decision in 1872 about the reach of the 14th Amendment, the court decided that it did not provide civil rights protection inside the states, despite the explicit limit on states requiring them to protect equal uh, due process and guarantee equality. As a result of this thin constitutional interpretation, we waited until the 1920s for the court to provide uniform protection of individual rights, whether the infringements happened by federal or state governments. This process made the Bill of Rights a limit on state governments and recognized other rights that are essential to freedom, liberty, and equality. For example, it was only in 1927 that the court required uniform First Amendment protections. After that date, speech and religion protections would be the same regardless of whether the federal government or state governments infringed on these rights. If you just tuned in, you are listening to WFMP 106.5 FM, and the person speaking right now is Dr. Enid Trucios Haynes. She is professor of law at the University of Louisville Brandeis School of Law, and she was speaking on the state of women's constitutional rights at the Women's Equality Day 2022, held on August the 27th at the Filson Historical Society in Louisville. Now, if you value the rights of women and other groups that have faced and will likely be facing voter repression, then you need to exercise your constitutional right to vote on November the 8th. You have until October 11th to get registered. So go visit GoVoteKY.com. Now back to our speaker. 
Finally, regarding personal autonomy, individual rights beyond the Bill of Rights, those rights essential to our freedom, liberty, and equality, these began to be recognized by the court in a consistent manner in the early 1960s. Parental rights had been re recognized in two cases in the late 1920s, but it was in 1965 when the court recognized the right to obtain contraceptives for married partners only in Griswold versus Connecticut. In 1972, the court determined that the right to obtain contraceptives could not be limited to married people. It found that the right to contraceptives was an individual right. Griswold created the framework for the court to consider other personal autonomy rights, fundamental rights. And Roe v. Wade in 1973, building on Griswold in other cases, identified a personal autonomy right to abortion protected by the Constitution, a fundamental right to control our bodies, the liberty to make reproductive choices, including whether and when to have a child. And as we know, this is directly connected to equal participation. In 1992, the Supreme Court upheld the central tenet of Roe versus Wade in Planned Parenthood versus Casey, permitting abortion before the viability of a fetus and granting states more authority to regulate abortion medical services to protect fetal life. This meant that states could regulate throughout pregnancy, unlike Roe's protection of abortion during the first trimester. And this led to increasingly restrictive state regulations after 1992. Casey upheld the right to abortion, although no longer a fundamental right, relying on a framework that required upholding Roe as a major precedent decision. A key criterion for upholding any precedent was the reliance of our people on the prior decision. The relevant question being whether overruling the precedent would create serious inequity or a significant change in the stability of society. Upholding Roe was necessary in 1992, according to the court, because for two decades from 1973, people, not only women or people who can become pregnant, who participated in the economic and social development of this country had organized their intimate relationships and made choices that defined their views of themselves and their places in society in reliance on the availability of abortion. The Casey Court also noted that, quote, the constitutional protection to personal decisions relating to marriage, procreation, contraception, family relations, child rearing, and education are based on the right of the individual, married or single, to be free from unwarranted government intrusion into matters so fundamentally affecting uh, a person as the decision whether to bear a child. These matters involving the most intimate and personal choices a person may make in a lifetime, choices central to personal dignity and autonomy, are central to the liberty protected by the 14th Amendment. At the heart of liberty is the right to define one's own concept of existence, of meaning, of the universe, and of the mystery of human life. That was the court in 1992. And that language that I just quoted is what the court has relied upon to make sodomy laws unconstitutional a decade later in Lawrence versus Texas, and to declare marriage equality rights, including same-sex and opposite-sex couples, in 2015 in the Rupert versus Hodges. In June 2022, the Dobbs decision demolished our constitutional order. The decision eradicates the processing criteria for overruling precedent. In its new formulation, the court states that Roe versus Wade was wrong in the same way that Plessy versus Ferguson was wrong. Mm. 
Plessy, in 1896, upheld the separate but equal apartheid system in the United States. It's profoundly cynical, like a slap in the face, mm -hmm. for the court to say that its fatally flawed definition of equality in Plessy was incorrect in the same way that Roe was deemed incorrect today. Roe established personal autonomy rights, and Plessy denied equal protection rights. Even worse, the Dobbs Court deliberately understates the country's reliance on access to abortion, ignoring the court's statement in the Casey case 30 years ago. The court's complete lack of regard for these reliance interests is both disrespectful and deliberately obtuse. Mm -hmm. On the right to abortion, the individual personal liberty decision about when and whether to have a child, the Dobbs decision has unleashed states to adopt and resurrect criminal laws prohibiting people in the states, not only physicians, from providing abortions, each state fine to adopt abortion penalties. Earlier this week, Texas criminalized abortion, making it a felony for anyone to provide an abortion or access to an abortion with imprisonment from five to one to life and a $100,000 fine for each instance. And with no exceptions for rape or incest, and the only exception for the protection of the life of the mother, we learned earlier this week also that a doctor in Texas would have required a woman to undergo a miscarriage and to wait for an infection to set in in order to establish a threat to her life Mercy. because of their fears of prosecution. We understand the stakes in the Dobbs decision. The Griswold case is now common knowledge since it's been covered in so many news reports since June. Our constitutional history does not include decisions like Dobbs, which rip away individual rights. We know this is not only a women's rights issue or an issue for people who can become pregnant, it's an issue for men who have sex with people who can become pregnant because these men have also built their lives relying on access to contraception and abortion. This decision affects our entire society. And even worse, Dobbs provides the roadmap to overturn other personal autonomy liberty rights. I share this history to illustrate how the road to freedom, liberty, and equality under our Constitution has had many detours. There were decades of cloudy days that made it difficult to see whether the road ahead could be traversed. It would have been easy to give up hope for a better future. For the past 49 years, the uniformity of abortion protection provided the opportunity for equal participation in our society. Today, as it was in 1871 when the 15th Amendment was adopted, and in 1920 when the 19th Amendment was adopted, the right to vote is the instrument of empowerment in our system. It's the vehicle to ensure voluntary motherhood and to advance a meaningful equality agenda. And although many of us might or might not choose abortion for ourselves as individuals, a majority of us in this country recognize the importance of protecting reproductive choice, of ensuring women and people who can become pregnant have abortion available to them to make decisions for themselves. Mm -hmm. I had the privilege of being in a national Zoom conference of Latino law professors on the day of the Dobbs decision. And our luncheon keynote speaker was Justice Sonia Sotomayor. It was extraordinary. And uh, while I can't quote anything that she said during her talk, I came away from it with the understanding that we must press on to recover and expand our constitutional rights to equal citizenship and equal participation. We must continue as we always have done. We cannot give up. That's right. Thank you. That was Dr. Enid Trucios Haynes, professor of law at the University of Louisville's Brandeis School of Law. She was speaking 
on the state of women's constitutional rights at the Women's Equality Day 2022 held August the 27th at the Filson Historical Society in Louisville. And this is Ruth Newman on Forward Radio's Community Access Hour, which we hold open for you out in the community to come on the air with your thoughts and comments, maybe just for one time. We don't require any technical knowledge because we will handle all of that. Just go to forwardradio.org and click on Participate. Now I have two reminders for you before we close. If you are not yet registered to vote or if you turn 18 by Election Day, which is November the 8th, then you need to get registered right now. Visit GoVote.com ky.com to register online. You will have until October the 11th, but do not delay. Go there now. It's at GoVoteKY.com. Also, we encourage you to support Louisville's nonprofit service organizations, and it's on September the 15th during the Give for Good 24-hour fund drive And that goes especially for this all-volunteer radio station, which relies solely on listener support. So you can find and donate to us by going to giveforgoodlouisville.org and searching Forward Radio. Remember the date, September 15th. Giveforgoodlouisville.org and look up Forward Radio. We'll be back next week on the Access Hour with Part 2 of Women's Equality Day 2022. So until then, stay tuned for more of public interest programming on WFMP 106.5 FM. Bye for now.